Greetings and welcome. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to come to your word this morning. We thank you for the Apostle Paul who was so faithful to you all those many centuries ago. And we ask that you would come and be our teacher as we turn to your word this morning. We recognize that there are things about you that we don't know which need to be revealed to us by you. And so we're asking you, Father God, to reveal the truth about yourself to us. We want to know the Lord Jesus as a person, and we want to submit our wills to you, um, willing to be obedient to you and to do the things that you call us to. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm very excited about today's sermon. Uh, I've entitled it Choose Life. In, in many ways, last uh, the last time I preached, it was a little bit negative in its approach. Um, that was necessary because we need to know what it is that we're turning our back on. But today we come to the positive side to choosing life. And it's based on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 19 to 24. So if you don't have your Bibles with you, just hit pause and go and find them. And uh, we'll start actually in verse 17. So Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 to 24. 17 to 19 is what we had a look at last week. It's entitled The New Life. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the end of today's reading. I, I love the part in the Bible, in, in the Gospel of John, where Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it in all its fullness. And this resonates very strongly with us as human beings because we want to enjoy fullness of life. But maybe someone says to me, well, Ian, you know, the nature of my life is determined and controlled by circumstances which are beyond my control. And that is true. But what we learned last time is that the quality of your life can be determined by yourself, by your choices, things that are within your control, within those circumstances that are beyond your control. And we said that choosing to truly live depends on what or whom we choose to believe. And we illustrated this using the example of Professor Will Provine, who believed in the theories of Charles Darwin. And this led him to the conclusion that life is meaningless and empty. And as a result of that, irrespective of what circumstances he found himself in, Will Provine wouldn't have enjoyed the same quality of life that he might have because he believed that life was meaningless and empty. This was the conclusion that his beliefs had led him to. And so the last sermon was, was quite negative in the sense that we explored the old life, 
the life that is not really life at all, the life that we are to reject in order to receive true life. And so we had a look at the old life in terms of its characteristics, its origin, and its outcome. And let's just summarize those very briefly. First of all, the characteristics. The, the problem of the old life presents itself as an intellectual problem. False beliefs lead to futility, darkened understanding, and lifelessness. That is the characteristic, or those are the characteristics of the old life. Number two, the origin. Although the problem of the old life manifests itself as a problem of the mind, it actually starts as a problem of the will. Because human beings are basically rebellious. We don't like having anyone to tell us what we can and what we can't do. And so we chose not to submit in humility to our Creator. What was the outcome of that? Number three, as a result of our pride and our unwillingness to humble ourselves before our Creator, our hearts became steadily more and more calloused, unresponsive, dead to God. And that's why Paul says that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Not dead in the sense that we weren't alive physically, but dead relationally. Just as if you can imagine myself being in a room with a corpse, that corpse can have no relationship with me because it's dead to me. And all of this because of the calluses that had built up over a period of time. So that was the negative side. That was the old life that we are rejecting. Now we want to choose life. We're going to learn how to choose life. Now we've established, as I just said, that the origin of the old life was a reluctance to submit to God as the person who has the right, after all he created us, to determine what is good and what is evil for human beings. If he created us, he knows what's good for us. He knows what's bad for us. And if we follow his rules, then we end up living a life in all its fullness. So how can this situation be rectified? And the way it's rectified is by submitting to God as a teacher. He's the one who reveals himself to us and teaches us what is good for us and what is bad for us. Therefore, the first step, number one, to choosing life is to seek divine instruction. That's the first step. The new way of life is based on divine instruction in the truth. And this makes sense, doesn't it? After all, it was ignorance of the truth that separated a person from the life of God. Isn't that what Paul said last, last time in verse 18? He said, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. That was the effect. What was the cause? Because of the ignorance that is in them. So it's a problem of ignorance, and that ignorance separates us from the life of God. However, and this is really momentous as we come to today's passage. We weren't given in the first instance a book to learn. We weren't given a list of do's and don'ts, although that is a part of it in the Bible. What we were actually given was a person. Can you see that in verse 20? But that is not the way you learned Christ. The subject that we are challenged to learn and to study is a person. 
It's Christ Jesus himself. That is not the way you learned Christ. Now as we move on to verse 21, just a little bit of an aside. I don't often do this, but if you translate the Greek literally, it says, assuming that you have heard him. Some translations supply the word about him, but it's literally assuming that you've heard him and other translations do translate it in that way. And what, what Paul was trying to get across here is that Jesus is the teacher. So not only is he the subject, but he's also the teacher. Assuming that you have heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. This is another interesting dimension. So Jesus is the subject, he's the teacher, but he's also the place of learning. If we will enter into a relationship with him, if I am in Christ, then he becomes my place of learning. It's a little bit of a mystery. I don't think we fully grasp it. I don't know about you, but it sounds good to me. I am in Christ. He is my place of learning. He's my teacher and he's my subject. And I have to say, folks, that getting to know Christ more and more should be the overarching passion, if you like, of your life. It's, it, 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 it enables you to enter into a lifetime of adventure. And never forget that the most significant things that we learn about a loved one are the things that they reveal to us. And that's why non-believers who have chosen not to submit themselves to God, not to enter into a learning relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, will remain ignorant and darkened. Because the most significant truths cannot be revealed, uh, sorry, they have to be revealed rather than discovered. And this is the, the case in life. You can get to know somebody by, by studying them, trying to discover all sorts of things about them. But if you want to find out really deep things about them, they need to reveal those things to you. So that's the first thing that we do. We choose life by seeking divine instruction. The second thing that we do is that we strip off the old self. The new way of life requires us to do that. It requires us to take off the old self. And so verse 22 says, put off your old self. Now that verb, put off, is the same verb that would have been used at the time for undressing, for taking off clothing. So put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Verses 22 to 24, and, and I find this quite interesting, are similar to five other passages, sort of parallel passages from Paul's letters that have to do with the theology of baptism. So in those passages, Paul is using baptism to describe or as a metaphor of conversion. And what he says in those passages is that when you get baptized, which is a picture of your conversion, your old self dies, is crucified with Christ, it's buried under the water, it's a picture of burial, and then you are raised up as a new creature in Christ. And so what today's passage is doing is it's describing the same thing, it's describing conversion, but it's using a different picture. And it's saying it's a bit like taking off an old suit of clothing and putting on a new suit of clothing that the Lord Jesus has provided for us. 
However, and this is very significant, folks, although the old self has been taken off at conversion, we must be careful that we don't submit, do you see at the end of the verse there, to the deceitful desires that still remain. Unfortunately, those ungodly passions and desires do not go away, even though we have been born again. Why does Paul call them deceitful desires rather than simply desires? Well, I don't know about you, but I've noticed that when I start to serve base desires, ungodly desires, I very soon start to find good reasons for serving them. I start to justify myself. And that's why Paul calls them deceitful. But where do these desires come from? We've learned that they're deceitful. Where do they come from? And the answer is at the start of chapter 2. Because remember at the start of chapter 2, Paul described in some detail what the old life was like. Using different terms and language and expressions to the ones that he did in today's passage. And in verse 3 of chapter 2, he says, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So those ungodly desires and passions emanate from the flesh. That's the, the word that Paul uses to describe this theological idea. Now, Paul's theology makes it clear that after you've been born again, the flesh still remains to hound you and to persecute you. It will only go once we've received our resurrection bodies and we are entirely removed from the very presence of sin, either after we die or when Jesus Christ returns uh, for the second time. But you're probably asking, well, what is this flesh? Well, I can tell you what it isn't, and I can tell you what it does. It's quite hard to explain exactly what it is. But what it isn't is it isn't meat and sinew. That's not what it is. We have an understanding that flesh is like meat that you would throw on a braai. It's not that. What does it do? The flesh works to control and captivate us, to tempt us to disobey God. And it tempts us to put on the old self. And I'll tell you something, the flesh does it on a daily, hourly basis. <laughs> but how does the flesh do it? It does it through passions. Deceitful desires of the body and the mind. I don't have that, and I would really like that. But you know what? I can't afford that. So what am I going to do? Steal it? That's the sort of thing that the flesh does. I really find that person attractive, but I'm not married to them. What am I going to do? The flesh is the source of passions. Not for God, not for good things, but for things that are forbidden by God. For things that belong to the old life. And so the flesh produces and stirs up these evil passions and desires in your body and your mind, tempting you to carry them out and tempting you to live in them, to indulge them continually as a matter of lifestyle or of, let's say, modus operandi. That is putting on the old self. Don't do it, says Paul. He's just, he's pleading with us. Don't do it. Don't give in to the passions of the flesh. Unfortunately, they haven't gone away now that you're born again. But for heaven's sake, don't give in to them. You took off that old self at conversion. 
but you must guard against putting it on again by keeping your desires submitted to the will of God. And this brings us to the next step. The best way that you can do that to keep your desires submitted to the will of God is by renewing your attitude. That's point number three. Renew your attitude. In fact, the exact wording, if you have a look at verse 23, is to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now there's two things that we should notice here. The first one is that in the Greek, the verb to be made new is in the present tense. And we know from, from, from what we've learned about Greek that if a verb is in the present tense, it is referring to an action that needs to become a habit. It needs to be ongoing. It needs to be a daily discipline. So renewing the spirit of your mind needs to become a daily habit. Number two, why are we to renew the spirit of the mind rather than simply the mind? I mean, what is the spirit of the mind? What does Paul mean and, and what's he getting at here? Paul puts it this way, because our central problem is a rebellious attitude which affects the way we think. We don't want to submit to God. We often just want to leave him outside of the room so we can get on with things that we know he's not pleased about. So, the spirit of the mind is the attitude of the mind, that attitude of rebelliousness. Our problem is a proud, rebellious attitude of mind which refuses to submit to God. And we learned earlier, didn't we, that the old way of life started with a lack of submission to God. And look at the mess it's got us into. And so, if that's the way the old way of life started, let's not get back into that. We need to renew the attitude of our mind. If you can remain submitted humbly to God on a daily basis, then He can reveal to you. And he's a great teacher. He's a great revealer. He can reveal to you His will for the day. And we're going to learn about Jesus as He shows us how to handle life what to do, how to deal with various situations that arise. And it begins with a right spirit or attitude of mind. And this is not to say, just as a little aside, that renewal precludes ongoing learning. We must read the Bible. We must read Christian books. We must listen to solid Christian teachers. But in all of this, we must come with a renewed attitude of submission and a desire to obey not simply to be informed. I love this quote by Mocha. He says, To know is not a mere exercise of the head. Nothing is known until it is passed over into obedience. Are you willing to be obedient? Are you willing to be humble and to submit yourself to God as your creator? So let's summarize so far. If we're going to choose this new way of life, um, it's based on divine instruction. So we need to, to choose to be instructed by Jesus. He's the teacher, he's the subject, he's the place of learning. It begins at conversion with a taking off of the old self and it continues with a daily battle against the flesh and the deceitful desires that it stirs up inside of us. And those two things, one and two, in order to do that, it, it will require the third step, which is that daily renewal of the mind's attitude, a willingness to learn from Jesus and to obey. 
But there's something else that happens at conversion. And this is the fourth step to choosing life. We are recreated and we need to put on the new self. We need to dress in the new self. Verse 24 reads, and in many ways this is the pinnacle of the passage. We are to put on the new self. Now listen to how Paul describes the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The new life begins with recreation. You're not going to be able to embrace this new life unless you have asked God to recreate you. In other biblical language, to enable you to be born again, to give birth to you as a son or a daughter of God. We have been recreated with the potential to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The Apostle Peter says that we have been given everything that we need for righteousness and holiness. That's because we've been created after the likeness of God. The old has gone, folks, and the new has come, and you are a new creation. Now, just to wrap this all up, after we've had a look at those four steps, I'd just like to use an illustration, a little bit of a backstory before I do it. We've said that the old life began with the refusal to submit to God and that this pride and rebellion led to callousness towards God and insensitivity towards God. And the more we gave ourselves up to sensuality and to those deceitful passions that the flesh stirred up in us, the more calloused we became towards God. And folks, it's that tendency to callousness that doesn't go away once we have been born again because of the influence of the flesh. Staying sensitive to God, not having calluses, requires daily work. We were talking about this a couple of weeks ago at our Harvest Home Church, and one of the ladies said that she felt it was like taking care of your heels. And I'm sure many of you can relate to this. She said, my heels get very dry. Um, they get calloused, the skin on them gets thick, and then they crack, and they even end up bleeding. And she said, the thing is that if I do a little bit of work every day on my heels, by moisturizing them, by giving them a bit of a, a rub to get the dead skin off, then I don't have a problem. My heels are fine. But if I don't do that, the calluses build up to such a point that I could actually take a pen knife <laughs> and cut the dead skin off. That's how insensitive my heels have become. There's no blood in them. They are cut off from the life of the rest of the body. And folks, this is a picture of what happens when we don't do that daily work of cutting away the calluses. So, the question is, are you going to do that work? You no longer have a heart that is hardened and callous towards God because of the new self that God has given you. But will you pray every day, Lord Jesus, I want to be renewed in my mind, my attitude of my mind today, and, and do it. Sometimes it's good to get your whole body into the act. Kneel down to show that you're prepared to submit yourself to God. I want my mind to have a spirit of submission and obedience. Teach me your ways. 
We need to do this on a daily basis. Lead me into the truth. Help me to obey your ways today. In everything I do, when I'm reading the Bible, when I'm reading a Christian book, when I'm listening to a Bible teaching, when I'm facing a difficult situation at home or at work, please reveal yourself to me. Will you do that? Will you strip off the old self by not giving yourself up to deceitful passions of the flesh? And when you've given yourself up, will you, will you approach God in humility and repentance? And the thing is, if you, if you make a mistake, don't allow the callous to build up by repeating that mistake. Pick yourself up. Carry on with Jesus as your teacher, dressed in the new self, created after the likeness of God in all righteousness and holiness. Shall we pray? Father God, we just want to make a start right now on cutting away any calluses that there might be. And so just in a, a few moments of silence, just ask the Holy Spirit to highlight any calluses that you have allowed to build up on your heart. And then ask God to forgive you for having been proud and arrogant and try to do things without him. And then commit yourself. Commit yourself to renewing the spirit, the attitude of your mind on a daily basis. And Father God, we want to do that. We want to come to you every day and just say, Father God, you are God. I am me. I'm just a created being. I come to you with an attitude of submission. I want you to be my teacher today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're the subject, you're the teacher, you're the place of study. Pray that every day. And let's see what the Lord does with us as individuals and more importantly, as a church body as well. So thank you so much for signing in. May God bless you in the week ahead. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.